2: people interact so it is happening whether you understand
0: it and like it or not
3: the phenomenon is moving the
0: digital you have now joined jenny from the blockchain and, and michael keen latest, latest, on the nft catcher podcast Hello!
1: what's up everyone and welcome back to another episode of the nft catcher podcast with me jenny from the blockchain and my co-host here michael michael how are you doing
2: i'm great i'm so excited for this uh, how are you doing
1: I'm doing phenomenal. Today is a very special day because tonight we have a special guest on. Um, our guest tonight is the founder of Psychedelics Anonymous, which launched a little over a month ago, but actually, well, Tara, this has been something you've been working on for months because I remember back in October, you were telling me that you were working on a project. Um, so we're super excited to dive in and learn more about you and Psychedelics Anonymous Waltera, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate the intro. And yes, we did start our conversation a long time ago. Like October feels like years ago in NFT (laughs) world. So uh, that's a funny little throwback.
1: I know, right? It's like, yeah, just months ago, but in NFT land, really, it was years ago. So, you know. (laughs)
3: And if no one, if anyone is not in the NFT land and is listening to this and they're curious what we mean by talking about like NFT timelines, mm. I'm telling you one day in NFT world is probably a week in regular world. You've got to <laughs> agree, right?
2: Yeah, Thanks. yeah, dude facts yeah at
3: least and especially
2: for you i can't even imagine yours your timeline is probably way more (laughs) stretched out (laughs) i feel like i'm
3: playing slow motion but also at like five times speed at the same time which is a very (laughs) weird feeling yeah 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 Mm. all right so
1: so i'm gonna kick this off with the first question here uh first of all you buy your board ape that you're sporting now as your profile picture eight months ago in June for two ETH, which first of all, congratulations on that. <laughs> um, and then you launched your project Psychedelics Anonymous in December. Take us back to when you first got started in the NFT space. How was your, how did your NFT journey begin?
3: So I feel like everyone's NFT journey begins very differently, right? Like everyone listening or everyone here probably has a different start to how they got involved in NFTs as a whole. Uh, and I find that really fascinating. And for me, it really, I guess it started with crypto knowledge as a basic. Um, I got into crypto pretty early, like 2013, 2014. Um, by no means that I'd buy up huge bags and I can now live on a private island by myself, but I, I started my exposure early. Um, which is when my blockchain sort of understanding began. And I feel like, for me, that was when I started to open my eyes to all things blockchain and crypto related. Uh, Fast forward a a number of years, so 2017 is when I got really involved in crypto. And I saw the the sort of uh, rise and fall of crypto throughout that period. Um, Obviously, didn't walk away with uh, heaps at the end of the day, but learned a lot of valuable lessons. Um, For me, having a creative business for the last seven years, I've always been interested in creativity as well as artwork and creative design and and creative thinking that we do on a daily basis. Uh, So then when it was around, I think it was around May of 2021, um, is when I started uh, sort of... I guess seeing NFTs as a term or as a sort of uh, you know acronym, rather, uh, pop up in this sort of Twitter ecosystem, but more importantly in just like general ecosystems like uh, Facebook groups or Instagram, even super early on, I just started seeing it being talked about a bit more, um, which is when I started looking into it. Uh, like I've been deep in crypto for a while and got very heavily involved in December. 2019 and January uh, 2021 uh, sorry uh, in December 2020 and then January 2021 but then as soon as these nFT things start coming around I was immediately more interested um, and I think a lot of people can sympathize with that because you have this thing which you know quote unquote provides utility or value depending on what project you're in. Uh, and it's way more entertaining to participate in compared to having crypto coins or, you know, Bitcoin in a wallet. Like it's, you know, that's boring unless you love looking at markets go up and down. So I started seeing uh, some Bored Apes float around and I had no idea what the Bored Ape Yacht Club was. Absolutely no clue. Um, and I wasn't around when they minted, not at all. Uh, but I started seeing this artwork pop up and... I actually really gravitated towards the artwork. I was talking to someone about this earlier today and I was like, you know, the, the artwork for the Bordeaux Club, it just made me laugh. It just made me smile. I was really interested in it. And I could imagine it being something that I put up on like a wall at, at my home. So that's when I started looking into it. And then I had this sort of really big deep dive into what MetaMask was, how to take coins out of, you know, uh, exchanges and put them on ledgers and like this sort of more detailed experience dive into NFTs as a whole. Um, and then I bought my first board ape which I think it was two ETH at the time. And in Australian dollars, I think it converted to about five and a half thousand AUD, which is, I think, you know, three and a half or something, uh, or maybe just, no, probably about three and a half thousand USD. And for me... You know, I'm pretty risk tolerant. Like, I I love to take risks. I've taken risks my entire life in terms of my career, and some of them paid off and some of them haven't. But I sort of just saw that as a bit of a punt. And I was saying to myself, look, if nothing happens from this, then at least I've got some cool artwork, which I actually really like. And it was really the first piece of digital art that I ever purchased. Once that happened, I then started seeing it appreciate in value. I started a Twitter account properly. I started interacting on Twitter, and that's when I started to discover, I guess, the community aspect of NFTs. I've never felt that strong presence of a community backing you up, even though, even though they have absolutely no idea who you are. And that was the thing that really captivated me and intrigued me, to be honest.
2: Wow, nice story, nice story. So your first piece of digital art your first nft was your ape correct yeah that's a no dad dad
3: play i won't lie
2: (laughs) and that worked pretty well from the first i bought a i bought mine right around the same time as you. i bought mine in uh in like mid-may for 0.88 so it's probably just a couple weeks before
3: yeah yeah i think mine was june 4th okay 4th or june 5th Yep.
2: yep And I think they minted right at the end of April, if I'm not mistaken, end of April might have sold out beginning of May right up in there.
3: Yeah, I believe, so I think it took them a few days to sell out. It did, yeah, quacky yeah now. It's no it took it life. took over
2: it took over a week, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, which is yep. crazy. And I remember, yeah. I remember when I did it. I was sitting at my friend's house, and I was frantically trying to do this because <laughs> I kept seeing the prices go up. And I was like, "Oh, I really want to buy this now." Because I was watching them at when they were at like one point one ease. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, they've gone up a lot." Like I want to jump on the train. Like I want to jump on the train. I remember sending, and this is no no lie. I sent three apes to uh my friends my some of my uh old boy, uh, schoolmates and i sent them all and they're all into crypto and stuff mm-hmm. and they all looked at me and they're like mate what are you doing <laughs> like, they're like, how much? and they're like how much is that i'm like well it's like five and a half six thousand dollars and they're like are you crazy like what like that and they're like not only do they look crap but like why would you spend that much money on it and i was like ah, okay <laughs> well there we go huh
2: Love the proofs in the pudding now, man. They're they're probably all correct. Ask, they're all now asking you for advice and you what know. they
3: well, funnily enough, I remember yeah. I think it was a couple months ago, one of them messaged me and was like, hmm, you weren't wrong about that, were you? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> huh?
3: like, Turns out I wasn't, but you right. know, that,
2: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, so so then you, you got aboard Ape as your first NFT, you started kind of jumping into the space, and then When, what like compelled you to start Psychedelics Anonymous? Like why did you decide you wanted to start your own project?
3: So I think I briefly mentioned this when I was talking to Nicole the other day um, on a spaces. And I don't think it's necessarily about like, what was my point of deciding that I wanted to do my own project? Um, The way I've done my career and the way I've sort of angled myself of always i'm always going to try everything like if it's relative if it's if it's uh something that i believe would be successful i'm gonna try it like there's no if or but about that so i think as soon as i saw the space beginning to like explode in a vertical movement um i then thought to myself well okay i need to figure out what i'm going to do like the question wasn't really, should I do one? It was like, all right, now what do I do? How, what's my project going to be about? Um, and I think that's an interesting distinction for a lot of people because then they were thinking about, you know, should I do one? And I was chatting to someone this morning about whether they should do one. And now I was going through some of their concerns in their head. And all of the concerns that they brought up to me um, were just wired differently as people. But all those concerns, I was just like, I acknowledged them and moved on. Uh, because I was never concerned about what happens or what's the next move. I was always just thinking about why well, I'm doing this, but what do I do specifically? Um, so then if we take that into consideration, my next thought was, who am I going to do it with? Like, who am I going to be able to champion this with? It wasn't really, you know, should I do it? It was like, who do I do this with? Who do I in on this? And the obvious answer for me then was uh, Adam, who... He's someone I've been working with for uh, like, I think six years, every single day, like every single day of the week, Saturday, Sunday, doesn't matter. Like we've worked through a lot of different creative uh, projects and processes and, and built a really, really comfortable business out of creative methodology. And we've gone through some pretty hard projects and some pretty cruisy ones as well. So I, for me, you know, assembling a team is really important. I've harped on about this for a very long time, but selecting someone you can really trust and someone you know can execute at a high level is really important. Um, So then funnily enough, how that conversation went was probably different to what a lot of people would assume. I, Got a call from Adam. Um, it would have been really early on. It would have been if I bought in June, it would have been maybe very early August or late July. And he's a very creative person. He as much as he's a creative director for for my company, uh, he you know he's a creative person for himself. He loves creating things that are wacky and cool and, and futuristic. Um, so he actually called me because he knew I was aware of crypto and had been in crypto for a while. And he asked me, he's like, oh, do you have any hardware wallets? Like, do you have any offline wallets and stuff? And I was like, yeah, yeah, i got a ledger, da, da, da. Like I was explaining it to him. And he's like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And so we had that brief conversation. And I was like, so what is it for? And he was like, oh, I've been learning about NFTs a bit. And I think I'm going to create some. I was like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, I, I know NFTs. Like I've been sort of diving into it for, for a little while now, like a couple months. He was like, oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And he's like, all right, I'll chat to you later and stuff like that. I was thinking, hmm, I don't think he realizes what I meant by diving, and I'm, you know, spending twenty four seven on this for months. Um, <laughs> but you know, I didn't want to go too hard, too fast, so I just yeah. like let it go, let it go. And then I, I think it was a week later, called me again. He was like, oh, it was another question relating to NFTs, and I was like, and I answered it pretty deep in a, you know, detailed fashion because I knew what I was talking about at that stage, or to a degree. And then I said. Adam, like, I really know this. Like, I've really been spending a lot of time on this NFT stuff. Like, you know, it's like, do you want to talk about it? He's like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about doing my own NFTs and stuff. And I'm like, I was like, Adam, I'll send you my wallet, have a look at my wallet, and then call me afterwards. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So hung up the phone, sent me a text to my open address mm-hmm. and texted it to him. And then he called me two minutes later and he's like, wow, you've got a board ape. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I've been telling you. I've been telling you. I've known this stuff. Like I've been learning about it. And then that's when the conversation began. So it took a little while for him to sort of realize that I wasn't actually, you know, talking out of my ass a little bit and going like, oh, yeah, I've been researching it. Like I've actually been into it. Um, so then the conversation with him progressed pretty smoothly because we were both like, cool, let's do something. But so what do we do? Um, and that's when we sort of went down the route of, of psychedelics. We both have a lot of close friends that have suffered from a lot of mental health issues. We both obviously have a lot of friends that use psychedelics to help, you know, boost their lives and their, their happiness and help fight things or that they might be fighting themselves. Um, and we really paired up with the idea of, uh, you know, partnering on a psychedelic basis and and trying to promote. Uh, extra research into that side of things. And then we just started experimenting with artwork and it just became really an experimentation process.
2: Wow. Uh, how many people are actually on the team overall when you started, when you had, when, like, so, when you put it on, I guess.
3: Yeah. So it, it grew based on what we needed. Um, mm-hmm. We're both pretty familiar with building teams. Uh, we bring in people when we need to bring them in. So Initially, it just started as me and Adam. We were the ones coming up with the concept. It's like, it's anonymous. I came up with the name while I was sitting on my couch, I'm pretty sure, eating tacos or something for dinner. And then mm. I called Adam straight away. And I was <laughs> like, that's the name. Mm. That's what we're doing. It. that's what we're calling it. Wow. Um, so we were sitting there like instead sort of brainstorming this stuff and then realized we needed a, a really good artist. We both recognized that if we wanted to make this thing successful, it needed great art. Now. Great art, at the end of the day, doesn't take it from zero to one hundred. A lot of people think it does. It's not, It doesn't. It yeah. takes it from you know probably one to fifty, and then from fifty to one hundred is the work that the team puts in to make it actually intrinsically valuable. So once we had sort of figured out what the concept was, we started talking to a few creative teams. Um, we started talking to the guys internally at Vulture, which is my agency. started talking to a few friends of ours in the creative world, getting them to do up some some concepts, some sort of drafts. And then eventually we were sort of heading in a direction, but I wasn't 100% happy with where we were or where we were going. And then Adam said, oh, well, you know, if we're going to do something super sort of futuristic and mysterious and dark and moody, then his friend Josh would probably be a good fit. And Adam's known Josh for... 20, 25 years. Mm. Um, and they've worked together in the past on lots of projects. And I said, cool, let's let's do it. And then we started to check out some of Josh's work and it immediately clicked. Like as soon as I saw it, like I'm a creative person in the sense that if I see something I like and go, yeah, that's it. Like I can make the call very quickly. However, I'm it's harder for me to dictate how we get there. So as soon as I saw some of Josh's work, I was like, that's it. He's our guy. Like, that's, that's what we need. So then once we had Josh together, we started working on the concept art. And that was a pretty smooth process, to be honest. Um, you know, Josh is an absolute veteran at what he does and is incredibly capable and incredibly skilled and also dedicated. Um, and he started getting to work right away. Uh, and then the art sort of started progressing from there. And I started sending some pieces of art to some people. And I think when we start getting really close to sort of fleshing this out properly and the feedback that I got was incredible, you know, really, really, really good. And that's you sent I realized, me
1: art. You sent me the art. Yeah, did I? I yeah. yeah.
3: Did I send you horns? with The one with the
1: horns?
3: Yeah. You, like, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I was yeah, looking yeah,
3: yeah. back and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... I started sending it to a bunch of people to just get some initial thoughts and, and, and feedback because obviously user feedback, customer feedback is the first and foremost thing that you ever need to do. Um, so then once once we had that together and we had the artwork sorted, we need to get some sort of foundations built. And some of the foundations were pretty simple. We needed some some really high-hitting advisors for us to to help open some doors for us, push us forwards. forward, um, you know while we're working on the day-to-day execution we need some people really thinking about high-level strategy both from a, a legal accounting and a, and a funds management sort of market experience which is when i opened up the doors to to Nick and James and Nick and James are incredibly experienced professionals Nick's very much in the sort of assets fund management section uh, and is good with the finances and, and vc and doing deals and things like that uh, he's the one who very thankfully uh, got us to sell a lot of Ethereum when it was back in the 4,000 range as soon as we minted out, which was looking like a nice. pretty smart move now. <laughs> um, so, you know, these people are allowing us to do things at a higher level that we wouldn't be able to do ourselves. And a lot of people don't realize that you do need to bring in these sort of people to help um, and then James, incredibly experienced uh, business professional, you know CEO of a Nasdaq listed company, uh, mm-hmm. not only a Nasdaq listed company but a Bitcoin miner that's one of the most green Bitcoin miners on the market. And you know their ability to open us up to a legal, accounting, and financial standpoint was second to none. Um, so once they were on board, we were able to bring on some legal teams. Uh, there was about fifteen people in the legal team working with us for. So, about a month and a half to make sure all our sort of eggs are in order or so to speak like you know there's a lot of projects that leave foundational parts at the door and that's normally because they're trying to rush because they're trying to get there they see it as a gold rush need to do it get done now get it out now. The problem with that is that a lot of the conversation I've had with founders that I know very well and you guys know very well um, some of them some of them don't have a lot of their foundations sorted. And that, for me, is is scary as a consumer. And now you wouldn't know that because obviously they wouldn't say anything, but some of these foundations will will ultimately lead to their derailing and their ending, um, which is terrifying. So I knew very quickly, um, especially with James and Nick on board, they're not going to get involved in something that wasn't a tight ship, so to speak. Um, So we got our legal foundations done very well and very cleanly. Um, because we were preparing for ultimately success. Um, now, you don't need to do it as, far as sort of hardcore, quote-unquote, as what we did. You can do it a lot easier. But having stuff in place allows you to protect yourself from others, including the people on your team. Because, you know, it's the harsh reality that when money gets involved, especially big monies, you know, that's when people change. doesn't matter how well you know them. doesn't matter how much work you've done with them. Um, when money gets involved, people change. And so these legal foundations and structures are incredibly important to protect not only yourselves as project owners the people working on the project, but the team and the community. Like if the team goes bad, the community falls with it. Yep. Um, so, so that was really important in my eyes. Um, and once we had the legal foundations done, uh, we started going out to devs, finding devs that we want to work with. Uh, Matt, for us, was a, an absolute easy fit, uh, incredibly experienced dev uh, built on a number of different blockchains, not just only Ethereum. So he had, he had experience on both sides of the fence, so to speak. Um, and that allowed us to work pretty quickly from a dev standpoint. Um, and that was you know very sort of handy that he was here and available at the time. And then for our event side, we've got Kate, who's transitioning more into a a full on hands on role with us simply because now that we are where we are, we can start working on things like events and experiences for the people in our community. Um, so then that being a foundational sort of team and level allowed us to explore out, you know, to other aspects, uh, having a creative agency myself, It was very easy to sub in resources when we needed them because I'm essentially just giving my agency myself as a client, right? Like, that was very lucky. Um, So, when we needed, you know, Web2 integrations and we need a website and all that sort of stuff, we have a team we've been working on, working with rather for, you know, five years. We could sub these people in so quickly. And these are people that we trust absolutely. Um, And therefore, you know, we had no Web 2 issues, which is quite funny when you see Web 3 companies and NFT collections have Web 2 Mm. issues, like websites crashing and stuff like that. Mm. So so the team is pretty fluid in terms of what we need and when. I think the the last update we gave, uh, we spoke about two things mainly. There was... Our sort of scrum of three Web2 developers that were helping us uh, web subbed them into a full-time basis. They were, you know, helping us when they needed to help us. We've now got them on a contract basis that, you know, they're with us and and ready to help us at any given second simply because our Web2 needs of expanding more pages and so on and so forth is going through the roof. And then the other side is creative agency. So, you know, as much as my personal agency is... Uh, creative and great. We do lots of work, but we aren't on the level of which we needed for something like this. Uh, this is a beyond level. And I'm, you know, knowledgeable enough to understand and not be sort of arrogant to be like, oh no, we can handle it ourselves. Like, no, we need it, we need some big guns to help us do some of this stuff that we're executing on. So a agency in the US, uh they've got a 50 person creative team. Um they're helping us do a number of different activations and activities for Psychedelics Anonymous uh, over the next couple of months and, and probably the couple of years. Um, because from a resourcing standpoint, we don't want to slow down. Like if we went to hire these level resources ourselves, it's going to take a month to hire, find them. Uh, it's going to take a couple of weeks of negotiation, and it's going to take at least a month to really onboard them properly. Um, And then once we start getting output, it's like two or three months down the track. And that's not not fast enough. So by being able to sub in a creative team that we're contracting, yeah, we forfeit a little bit of cost. It would be more expensive than if we did it in-house. But we benefit in speed. Um, We benefit in accuracy because these people don't miss, uh, which is really important. And we'll continue to do that as we build our internal resources as well.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. I I love that. Like making sure the foundation is built properly and that you have a strong team. Those are huge for NFT projects um, to succeed. Um, So I I was wondering if you can take us to when you first started marketing psychedelics anonymous. I mean, I remember when your personal account, you just had a couple thousand followers and you grew. I just checked. You have 150,000 followers now. You grew to, like super fast in just a couple months, um, and I remember you did a whole whitelist, whitelisting game uh, thing, you know, with Twitter. And I'm just curious. First of all, how did you grow on Twitter so quickly <laughs> and gain such a uh, such a loyal following too? And and you know, talk, talk to us about these whitelisting
3: games that you did. So <clears throat> to bring us back to to understand how that worked and, and why that worked. You really have to understand that marketing, and, and for me, I've been in the marketing world for a while, right? Like marketing for a lot of people is just seen as advertising stuff and promoting stuff and paying for stuff to be promoted. Um, it's not factually correct. Marketing is a lot more than that, uh, especially successful marketing. Um, I have had the pleasure of working with lots of people and experimenting. Like uh, My whole career I've experimented. We've always run the foundation of Asking forgiveness instead of permission. So, there's things and activations and campaigns that I've run. Some of them have gone well, uh, some of them have gone terribly. Uh, and there's a lot of learnings that have sort of intertwined themselves into how that whitelisting and, and project promotional basis worked. Um, marketing really is just psychology. It, it's same with projects, NFT projects, psychology. It's a speculative market based around how people feel and what they think and what the vibe is, right? Using quotation marks on that. So I watched for months and months and months and months uh, to see what projects went well, what failed. I watched all of it happen. I watched On One Force. I watched Mechaverse. I watched all that stuff. We saw it rise and fall. It was incredible to watch. Um, And I'm glad I did. So one of the key lessons here was... A bit of a reverse psychology switch on a buying mechanism for an individual. Normally, as a consumer, you're saying, oh, can you, you know, sorry, as a company, you're saying, oh, can you please, consumer, buy my product? And that's normally how that interaction goes. A whitelist process or an allow list or whatever you want to call it. For us, it was whitelist at the time because that was the, the phrase that uh, resonated. Um, but I can understand why people have changed that now for obvious reasons. Um, but whitelisting for us at the time really th- reversed the psychology of, of the purchasing decision by the consumer. What it did was allowed the consumers to think that it's a privilege to have the purpose or the of the opportunity to participate in the product or the launch. So we were essentially advertising <laughs> A list that allowed people to buy our product, which is a really interesting psychological switch, because we're not—we're no longer, you know, asking people to buy; where we're allowing people to buy. It's this level of exclusivity that people suddenly gravitate to, because FOMO is a hell of a feeling, right? Uh, no one wants to miss out on something, especially when it comes to a highly speculative market that we're in with NFTs at the moment. So, I watched a few collections try, you know, a quote-unquote whitelist process, um, and a few of them went pretty well. Um, interestingly enough, they only did, you know, a thousand or maybe two thousand here or there. It was more of like a smaller aspect. Realistically, at that stage in sort of you know August, September, October, a whitelist was essentially giving out spots for people you favored, it's almost like, Hey, you celebrity, I like you, you want to buy NFTs? Here you go. Like, and that's why that notion of a whitelist spot was cheaper than a public sales spot. It's like a, you know, a 20% discount or something like that. Um, now I don't particularly like favoritism. I've never have, or never will. Um, so the favoritism aspect for us was never going to exist. Um, instead what I wanted to do was achieve two things. One, a user-generated content flow. And two, um, essentially, the ability to create a collection and and launch a collection with an incredibly high unique ownership. Um, Very basic economics. If there's more unique owners, there's less people that hold larger pieces of supply. Therefore, price can be more stable unless people want to, you know, sell their loads. It's just, it just makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. You look at collections and they've got an incredibly low unique holder ratio. You know at that stage that, you know, any one person for whatever reason could just list a hundred NFTs and absolutely tank the price. And because it's a highly emotional and speculative market, if you see someone doing that, you think something's wrong you don't make your own judgment, you just see it going down and you go, oh, I'm going down as well. Like it's just this emotional tide that you can't really stop from happening. The last aspect of the whitelisting process was that it allowed us to be selective in some way to push these people that normally wouldn't get a chance normally would never get a chance to mint an NFT because they get gassed out or whatever it may be Um, and that's where the unique opportunity and sort of unique and equal opportunity rather came into it so considering those things it looks like it was an obvious play to make a big whitelist sort of campaign which was at the time the first of its kind no one else had done that Mm. and How it all started was, again, realistically just to play on on human psychology. The first tweet I put up in response to this, and I had about 5,000 followers at the time, Um, and what people don't understand is to get those 5,000 followers, I grinded like serious amounts on Twitter. (laughs) Um, You know, like there was one, I was telling someone else the other day, there was one tweet that I had that was successful I had like 200 or 300 retweets and I messaged every single person on that retweet list one by one. I didn't copy paste. I wrote it out with my thumbs, right? I actually wrote it out and I said, hey, thanks for retweeting. Appreciate the support. If there's anything you need, let me know. Mm. okay, in like a million different variations. Yeah. And there was so many people that ignored me. There was so many people that ignored me, uh, mm. which is fine. It's whatever. Like, I get it. Um, but there was a lot of people that actually replied and they're like, yeah, cool. Like, no worries. Like, appreciate it. Or just, you know, love hearted it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so the first tweet I did to start this all off, I posted and I said something along the lines of, and this was after I'd had, I think, three pretty successful tweets like I had three in a row really good tweets that picked up a lot of steam that you know were more than I'd ever get like we're talking a thousand likes here something you know quote-unquote mini viral and I was like oh I think it's time like I think it's time so then I posted the tweet and I was like look anyone who responds positively interacts in a positive manner adds value to people in this little community I will consider you on you know to put on a uh, put you on a whitelist for the upcoming project i'm working on and then at the end of the tweet i said something i'm pretty sure it was that tweet can't actually remember at, at some stage i said and if you don't know what i'm talking about read my bio mm. so in my bio i put that spiel it was basically like a public improvement team with a 10-figure track record doing next-gen art and utility projects right and then there was a lot of people that responded to that tweet that were like, "Yeah, cool, awesome!" Like, you know, being positive and being nice and being friendly, and that's when the flywheel started. For the subsequent three days, I did not sleep. Like, I did not sleep for three days after that tweet because I know when something begins, it has to continue. On that, it's a flywheel. You gotta, you gotta keep going. There's no sleep that's gonna happen. Yep. Yep. So then, you know, people start posting. You know, really positive things. And I just started retweeting them all and being like, wireless listen wireless, wireless, like just throwing it out there. Mm. And then everyone started responding more on the on the tweets where I was whitelisting people and it just turned into absolute mayhem. Um dude, you were tweeting some...
1: so much. I remember yeah. else. Some people are even getting mad. They're like, yo, who's this little terror dude just like doing all these whitelist tweets? <laughs> you're going ham. Yeah. You're going, you're going hard.
3: There was there was one specific influencer who is very well known, who got very pissed with me, um, and tweeted something about it. And I messaged him or her and said, "Hey, look, it's not, it's not spam, like I'm actually working on something." And I sent some artwork, and I said who I was working with. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm working with people who are CEO of NASDAq with the company data, like I gave some details. And they responded back in a bit of a pissed manner. But, you know, at that point, I was just like, oh, it's too far gone. I don't give a mm. shit. Like, I'm just going to do it, regardless of what you think. Block me, I don't care.
2: Yeah. Um, so you, then- don't wanna, you don't want to throw any names out there?
1: Was it Shandu? No, I'd
2: no, rather, rather <laughs> not. <rather>, no, <laughs> okay, no. okay, all good, all um, good. Um,
1: We'll
3: start guessing time um, no, Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's guessing time. Um, so <laughs> Blink so then, twice
2: if we get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Blink twice if it was our chick.
3: Yeah. I'll cough twice. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't our chick. It wasn't our chick, actually. Okay. Um, so, so anyway, so then this flywheel began. And I started doing, you know, tweeting, being like, uh, you know, what does my bio say? And then everyone was copy and pasting my bio. And I was retweeting, <laughs> whitelisting them, whitelisting them, whitelisting them. So every time I was like, read my bio. And they were just like, it's this. Like, It was just turned into this flywheel. So for about three days, I didn't sleep. And I was screenshotting everyone's profile that I was whitelisting. Because I didn't really have, a, have an idea of how I was going to track this. So I was like, all right, well, if I screenshot your profile, I can find you later. sort of thing. Um, oh my god and then, <laughs> yeah, and that that turned into an midnight man, but that's okay um, so so this started happening, and then, with the whitelist game, so this is where it got interesting um I started realizing two things: firstly, I needed to sleep, otherwise I was gonna go crazy. <laughs> and secondly. Because I'm in Australia, the time zone issue is that, you know, I wake up in the afternoon of the US and sort of late night of the UK and everything. And it's just, it's just hard. There's days and time that I'm missing. So I started realizing I was like, I need to post something before I sleep that keeps the ball moving. Like I need something to keep the ball moving while I sleep. Even if it's for three or four hours, I need Mm. to. So then I was thinking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And then there was a game me and some of my DJ friends from real life used to play, and it was called Docker Clock. And one of our friends, uh, uh, Declan, he used to wake up at really random times. And for whatever reason, we used to guess what time he was going to wake up. And then we had a scoreboard of whoever got close enough and sort of tallied up the winners. It was really stupid, but it was fine. (laughs) And and so I was like, maybe I'll play something like that. So the first whitelist game, I was like, you know, I said we're going to play a whitelist game, and everyone was losing it because they're like, I don't know what this is going to be because everyone loves games, obviously. And then I basically said we used to play a game called Doc Clock. I'm pretty sure I spelled because I was delusional at the time um his nickname is also des so i said des o'clock which butchered it because then they they messaged me the next morning being like you spelt it wrong it's not des o'clock it's doctor o'clock, and i was like ah i'm so tired i don't care um so then i said you know everyone in the comments guess below what time i wake up and whenever i wake up the first when i wake up i will make note of the time And I will jump into the comments and I'll scroll down until I see 25 people that have guessed close enough and I'll whitelist every single one of them. So that's when the game started because I posted that and it got three, 4,000 comments overnight, two, 3,000 likes people, you know, a couple thousand retweets. And I was like, this is the solution. This is the solution. When I go to bed, I put up a game, and people engage with it while I'm asleep. It keeps the ball rolling, and then I wake up and I get back on the normal grind. Like that was the solution, and that's what I needed. Um, because once someone's awake, you know, once someone's asleep for six, seven hours, that's six, seven hours of silence. You could be using marketing, right? So, so interestingly enough, you know, I I wanted to do that, and we started doing it. Before this started happening, and we've never paid anyone to promote Psychedelics Anonymous, and we never will. Um, there's a lot of people, there was, I think there was once, one celebrity, Josh Hart, reached out to me um, before Mint and was like, hey, you know, like, what's the project about? And like, can I get a white list, basically? And I was like, ah. So we had chat and like we messaged back and forth and back and forth. And he had an Australian coach, fitness coach in his gym and like all this sort of stuff. So we bonded on a few things. I was like, all right, okay, I'll give you a whitelist. Like, tell me your wallet. Hmm. He's the only person that I, you know, of celebrity status that I gave a whitelist to um, who I don't really know or didn't have a relationship with prior. Um, but the interesting thing is that you've got to understand I was willing to do anything to make this work like any project founder would, you do anything to make it work. So before we started hitting mainstream sort of uh, pace in terms of our marketing, there was a guy that I was interacting with on Twitter before this all started. And he was a verified profile and he was a ex athlete. Um, He did a lot of promotional stuff like, you know, um, project promos and stuff like that. And, I was trying to get to know him because I was thinking about who I could, you know, help to promote, who could help promote this if we needed it. And before this all hit flywheel, you know, you've always got to have backup strategies. For me, I was chatting to him and I was going, look, you know, do you know any any promoters, any influencers that, you know, we could potentially use for my projects if we need it? And he was like, yep, yep. I know of all these people and I can, you know, da, da, da. and I was like, cool. All right. I was like, "Look, I'll pay you some ETH." I was like, "I want you to start talking to some people and seeing if you can get some earmarks. You start the the organisation process, right? Because in my career, we've used influencers for lots of different things, uh, and it's gone really well because it's a great way to do marketing. And so, for the subsequent couple of, I think it was a week and a half or two weeks, you know, I paid this guy a certain amount of ETH uh, every week to try and organise all these people and get like a bit of an army together." of these promoters um, and his job was to assemble them for me. Now he started getting some, some decent names. Um, but then as soon as the whitelisting stuff started, I didn't need it. So we got to the point where, you know, he, and this is completely true story. Um, being completely honest. Uh, we got to a point where he had all these people and they were all interested um, and they all, you know, had a price and whatever. And, and um, they knew what the project was. Um, and because they saw some of the success while we started whitelisting, you know, they started to nag him a bit and be like, Hey, can we, can we do this? Can we do this? Like they were interested. Um, when I realized that we didn't need them and that I wasn't ever going to do that because we just didn't need to, I asked him, I said, okay, I didn't tell him what I was going to do, but I said, put them all into a group conversation on Twitter with me and I'll have a chat to them. And he was like, yep, cool. Can do that he's like oh pay me the rest of my eth first like what we agreed on i was like oh yeah fine so paid him the rest uh wasn't cheap either actually (laughs) um but you know i was doing what i had to do he put them all in a group conversation with me and there was probably i think there was like 35 of them different people some influencers were just you know seriously pumpy influencers doing anything for a promo some of them were a little bit more serious and and I got to me and he introduced me and so on and so forth. And I sent one a message. I said, look, to be perfectly honest, I've used XYZ person to assemble you all here and get you all interested in, in doing some work for us. It turns out, do I actually don't need any of you anymore. And we're not going to be going ahead with doing any paid promos. are not going to pay anyone to do any promos. It's just our stance. Um, and I said, I'm sorry for wasting everyone's time. Um, I know, you know that's what we were talking about, but it, ju- it just isn't in the game plan anymore. Um, and I said to all of them, I said, look, if any of you are, you know, engaged and and doing exactly what the community is doing, um, you know, by participating and retweeting and getting on board with the fun, then I said, I'll, you know, I'll look for your names a little bit more specially. And if I see you participating, like I'll put you on the list. And, most of them just ignored me, probably like five replied or you know, six replied and said, Okay, all right. Um, <clears throat> a few just left straight away, probably were a bit pissed off or whatever, which is fair <laughs> enough. And I think I think three of them, three of them made the whitelist mm. because they were actually participating.
1: Well, let's go. And the rest,
3: you know, would have been would have been like 30 others just didn't bother. Wow. Didn't bother at all. So it was very interesting because, you know. You see uh, from an outside looking into Psychedelic synonymous and myself and everyone who's working on this, you see the finished product, so to speak. You see the, the the work and then the result. You don't specifically know what we have to do behind the scenes. And you know, like that was one of the that was one of the alternative strategies. That was probably one of the primary strategies because I didn't envision the whitelisting journey to go so well.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. You don't know what the hype's going to be until you start getting closer and closer. Like when you're Correct. building, you don't really know that. There was so much good insight on the last, you know, whatever it was 10 minutes of you just talking about that journey. That was really good stuff. Really insightful for anybody listening, anybody trying to market a project, big or small, like really good stuff, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate yeah. That. The, the first time I heard you speak was with uh, NFTs anonymous on his Twitter space. And you had already yeah, kind of you had already kind of started blowing up at that point a little bit. And I I listened to that and then I mentioned it to some of the guys I work with. Uh, you're in Sydney, right?
3: Correct. Yeah. yeah
2: I, I work with the guy Mark Lowe in, in Melbourne and he uh, and he when I said that, he was like, oh, yeah, he's blowing up like everyone's talking. So but it was really interesting. You could just honestly, you could just tell that you had something special going on even right now, but like the way you were talking in that spaces and it was just like, and I remember people were coming up and if they would ask a good question, you would give them a white list and it was like gracing them with like, you know what I mean? It was, it was really cool. That was, that was really, that was fun to watch. I mean, like what you just talked about that like meteoric marketing rise was one of the best ones that's ever been done. Like, and especially one of the first ones, that blew up like that. Now there's stuff that kind of blows up like that. And sometimes you they're probably paying for discord followers. Like yours felt really organic and just was fast and awesome. It's good to hear how you grinded it. Cause that's, you know, Gary V talks about that in his beginnings, like he responded to every message and everything that was going on and spent all day talking to people and responding on Twitter. And it sounds like you kind of had a little bit of that same drive. Yeah. Look, uh-
3: one of the games, funnily enough, was at the end. And this was at the end of the week. I did this strategically. Again, it's all yeah. psychology, right? One of the games at the end of the week um, was, uh, can you guess my screen time? Like, what was my average <laughs> screen time this <laughs> week? Nice, nice. And, and everyone was guessing. And, like, I think on Saturday morning, I woke up. It's like, Friday night for you guys. And I was like, my screen time was, like, you know, 16 18 hours or something and th- that was my screen time it's been a fucking great week and like you know I'm going to take a couple of days off and I'll be back soon and you know th- that's what it was like like I the last 16 weeks or eight weeks really leading up to launch was just there was one thing that was happening in my life and that was it I wake up yeah. in the morning I walk to the cafe I get my breakfast in the morning because it's just my routine. I get my three-quarter full latte with the sugar, and I just eat. And then I walk back, and I just work. I just worked, uh, like, you know, 20, 21 hours a day. And leading up to the end, the last week, it was just I I didn't sleep. I had naps. It was like one-and-a-half-hour nap or two-hour nap here. That was it. That was it. So, you know, like – This stuff, again, like you look at the end product and you go, cool, it's great, you know, worked well and da-da-da, but the work that goes into some of this is just outrageous, Um, and, you know, some of the projects that really do well, it's because the people behind them are really, really pushed, and that's something that I can respect. Now, we don't know who's going to make it, quote-unquote, in the end. Uh, We have Mm -hmm. no idea. But we just have to bet on the people, and that's what I some, one of the things that I pushed really hard. I was like, it doesn't matter what the project is like or how it launches or whatever. It, ju- the people will figure it out. The people will make it happen. So bet yep. on teams and don't bet on anything else. That's all you, you need. There you go. To
2: bet on. Yep. Yeah, we say that it's it, the the best bets in the space are made on people, for
3: sure. Yeah, and yep. like any any VC knows that you bet on the jockey, not the horse.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: Nice. Michael, you should share your story uh about Nikki.
2: Yeah, so uh was I didn't get on the I didn't get on the white list. you know, it, it was hard to get on whatever it was, but uh, yeah. I was I was watching it closely and I think uh it was like December 23rd or December 24th, I bought one of the Genesis memberships unrevealed for like 0.44 and yeah. 0.45 somewhere up in that range and uh and one of the ladies I work with Nikki watches my wallet and she saw that I bought one. Christmas morning, she woke up and bought one unrevealed, tiny bit more. It might have been 0.5, whatever it was. And then when they finally revealed, uh, she had the number seven overall rare <laughs> piece. Yep. She has the number seven.
3: That's incredible.
2: Isn't it? So Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She is amazing. She was thrilled. She was like, she's like, I don't know what's happening. I'm getting like five ETH offers on this. She was saying, it was like, yeah, number seven. Unbelievable. Oof.
3: That is good. It feels good. I know. Never, never. Yeah,
2: I know. Especially like that.
3: Sorry. I take that back. World of Women. I got a gold mint. That was the best I've ever done. Nice. nice, nice.
2: Do you still own it?
3: I sure do. Yeah. Nice. Good for you. Good for
2: you. Oh, wow. 25.
3: Yeah, wow! Sold on the way up, yeah, I yep. Uh, sold my fourth last one a couple of weeks ago to make a point, and sure. um the rest I'll just hold forever, I guess.
2: That's what's up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: What did Nikki do with hers? Her she mother.
2: she priced it at a wildly high price. I don't know exactly what it is, but she's holding. She's not just giving it away. She's a uh, oh, she put she put it out there <laughs> to <laughs> try <laughs> try and maybe if it sells, it'll probably be the highest sale that that has happened. I think from where do you know what the highest sale is in your ecosystem highest
3: sale was our charity auction. It was 25.56. I believe. Okay.
2: Yeah. I think she's like 35 or 40 is where she has hers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <good laughs> I, on. Good on. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that, if that bangs out at some point, someone, you know what I mean? Like it's it doing like, well,
3: you know, all projects have their, have their time in the limelight. It's a yep. very interesting yep. cycle to watch. Yeah. Um, I think there's a few things that have been worked on that I think will excite a few people. Uh, I know every project founder says that, uh, but yeah, only some yeah. deliver on that. So we'll see. Well, who knows? Who knows?
2: No, you're right. Kind of the hard work starts after the drop, right? We say that too a lot on here.
3: Yeah, I uh, completely agree. That I think the most of the hardest work I've done was immediately after because it's like this yeah. – do so you feel relieved, and you're like, "Oh my god, that went well. That happened." I'm like, you know, great. And then you take two days off, and then you go, "Whoa, I need to do a lot of stuff." Yeah, now. I think it's this weird, weird veil that some uh, people have that run projects, and they go, "You know, selling out is going to be the hardest part. Marketing is going to be the hardest part. It's not. It's not.
2: Not at all. Not at no. all. Yeah, the hardest part is is after you make your money." then you know then producing you're right like because now you had seven thousand people that are that are investors you know probably in the discord what's happening next what's going on you know like for sure that's a hundred percent yeah so
1: so let's talk about the project really quick so first of all there are four different NFTs you could mint like you know for the people that got white listed there was the Genesis um which is like the actual profile picture art right there's the in real life psychedelics anonymous pass the um metaverse pass and then the component number one and since then you've released component number two but um can you just kind of like briefly like talk about each one and like walk us through a little bit on on each one
3: for sure so the concept of releasing for Needs to be sort of seen as is two things. When we initially began the journey of explaining this to people, because it was very new, uh there's one YouTuber actually that I remember pre pre mint was just bagging us and be like, ah, this is never going to sell out thirty eight thousand FDS is a joke. All oh, this stuff, which is funny, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but. I can understand it because it is new and it is different, and people don't like new or different things. Even though that we're in an industry where new and different thrives, so it's a bit ironic. The Genesis membership is always going to be our highest tier of NFT. Um, obviously, it's a collectible. There's artwork that's attached to it that you know was made by Josh. It's a blood, sweat, and tears project where he slaved away for. 18, 20 hours a day for a very long time. Uh, And that artwork is tied into the story of Psychedelics Anonymous. And if anyone's read the story, they'll understand what exactly I mean by that. It reflects the mood, uh, which is quite dark and mysterious and dystopian. The second NFT is the In Real Life Pass. So the In Real Life Pass was designed to allow people to enter the community at a lower price point. Uh, for those that couldn't specifically get into the Genesis level of membership. Um, that pass comes with it, not only access to all of our in-real-life events and so on and so forth, uh, but it also comes with a free set of merchandise, which we're working on at the moment. We've got some more samples for, which is great. Um, and everyone will be able to claim a free sort of bag of merchandise. You know, I think we're we're probably going to do three items for free, um, like a hoodie, T-shirt, and a beanie as, as an example. And wow. you know that's that's a bit of fun. And the idea around that was that the the cost of the merch offsets the cost of the NFT. So the merch merch is like quite literally the cost of the NFT minted for zero point zero six, I believe. Yeah. Um, and at the time, that was around like you know three hundred USD or, or two fifty USD, and that was that. That's essentially going to be the cost of the production, design, production, and, and manufacturing and distribution of merchandise. So the idea was that once that had sort of happened, everyone gets their unique value and then they just move on and use it purely on a utilitarian base to access in real life events. Um, The second is the Metaverse Pass. Now, the Metaverse Pass is using the same logic as the IRL Pass. It's for those people that can't necessarily uh, attend events in major cities. Like obviously, we're going to have an event in New York City obviously now if you're on the other side of the world it doesn't make logical sense for you to get there all right especially the way we did the whitelist we have people from all different walks of life uh, people that never would have been able to buy this nft if it was gas war we have heaps of different people so that was designed to help people integrate themselves into the virtual sort of world of pa and it also included a set of wearables, which we're working on at the moment as well, which will be for free. They can claim them for free. That also, obviously, same logic as in Relive Class, allows them to access our metaverse-level events or virtual events. An example of one of those coming up is we're having a one-on-one Q&A chat with um, a very, very famous professor of a word that I cannot pronounce talking about psychedelics mm. and what they are and how they work and how they benefit people. So that'll be held in our discord uh, and users of, uh, you know, holders of the Genesis will be able to attend. And then holders of the metaverse Pass will also be able to attend. So it allows them to come and participate on a virtuals level. Um, but if you hold an IRL pass, you don't get to attend because it's not an in real life event. The Component number one is the most fascinating part, realistically, of, of Psychoics Anonymous. Um, it's the first component required for the mini game experience. That's how it was described. Component number one is shaped out to be essentially this riddle of game theory, which people have been obsessing over for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks as to how the PA universe is going to expand um, and how component number one interacts with other items. Uh, component number two is obviously out, uh, and that was a free claim. I think component number two floor price is around like 0.6, 0.7 So that's great for everyone involved. Um, but component number one really was just—it was just that. It was just component number one. There was no real. Int- there was no real information. It just said this is part of the game. It's here. That's what it is. Uh, if you looked at the, the artwork, it's obviously a part of a chemical equation, um, and that minted zero point zero four five, which ended up being almost one of the most valuable pieces at its peak, it went to 0.8 each, each um, which is, you know, for a 0.045 Mint, it's not bad. It also took a couple of days to sell out. And I was slowly saying a little bit more like, ah, this might be more valuable than you once think. Just because it's the cheapest NFT sitting there, it doesn't mean it's the least valuable. So that was a bit of an experience. Um, so that's really a summary of all the four NFTs
2: at Mint. Oh, I I just bought I just bought the in real life one because I've been watching watching. Oh, the sure, I just I bought purchased it as, folks as we were sitting here. I was wailed well uh, in, well yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guppied price? in. I bought one, so <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. fine. It doesn't matter. One, nah, no, no, no. it's cool. And I I still have my I still have my Genesis that I haven't even listed or won't list. It's like it's like a middle of the road one, but it's cool and and I'm definitely, you know really excited to see what you have coming coming down the pike yeah i have so, i
1: have a in real life pass and uh metaverse pass as well so now michael we both have in real life pass. Nice. so we can go to the events together let's go yes exactly,
2: yes
3: exactly i actually got a got an event quote back today where we're just looking and teeing up a bunch of different things um the event quote was eye-watering is for New York oh, uh, is something that we're looking at doing it was uh is, one point seven that, million USD. Damn.
2: What? Is that for uh is that for uh June for NFT.nyc? Correct. Yeah. Nice. That's what's up. You're trying to rent you trying to rent out like uh I don't know, Terminal 5 or something for that phrase? It's
3: like <laughs> uh, We're doing a few interesting things. We'll see how yeah,
2: cool, cool, cool. But Madison Square Garden, I mean, that's an expensive...
3: Uh... <laughs> that would be an expensive field, <laughs> Yeah, here, that's for sure. Yeah,
2: yeah. Cool, that's exciting, man.
3: So I guess once the sort of set of four NFTs are really explained, I guess the next explanation really comes into... What's been keeping everyone so engaged for the last how many weeks? Which is really relating to the game theory and how that works. Um, we've published a bunch of equations, uh, which have the need for different things to be used to get to a certain outcome. Uh, and it's you know the community's been loving that level of engagement. to Understand what's going to happen next, and I think you know there's one thing that I noticed really clearly is once in a once a collection and projects launches a lot of the time they fall off pretty quickly, right? Because it's really quite hard to provide quick value. Um, You know, we're four weeks in. It's very hard to do substantial activities four weeks in. If you look at any other large, very large NFT collection, it takes a long time for them to start providing real sort of life utility, quote unquote, and sort of building. So at the forefront of what we were thinking of doing, was we wanted to create an engaging experience off the bat, something that we could deliver on very quickly, which is, you know, this this game theory, which is why we released and have pushed this so hard and, and pre-planned a lot of this methodology and, and the writing around it to keep people interested and engaged and playing. And the people that play, people that play correctly, you know, at, at least they've got a you know, 0.6, 0.7 thing for free. Uh, which is really awesome to see it's it's awesome to see that level of value being returned to people that have been really loyal and for a lot of people that's you know several times what they actually spent getting into mm-hmm. the project mm-hmm. so that's that's incredible to see um and we're super happy with how that's progressing and how that's engaging people nice
1: that's awesome
2: yeah. oh go ahead Mike oh i was just gonna i was gonna say um what is the advantage for people, and by people I might mean myself, of mm-hmm. getting, getting a full set of all five of them and, and continuing to do that?
3: So the, full, the first full set snapshot was for C2. Okay, so okay, had,
2: that's what you just you had, said, yeah, okay.
3: Yeah, yeah, so if yeah, you yeah. had a full set, so uh, in real life past Metaverse past Genesis and Component yep. 1, yep. you were able to get C2 for free. That was your reward. Cool, um, okay. You know, it's funny, okay. Someone, yesterday, someone yesterday said, you know, why didn't you tell us to get all four at Mint and so on and so forth? I was like, look, <laughs> if I tell you how to play the game, I can't, it's not fun. Like, I can't mm-hmm. actually tell you, hey, if you want to win, mm-hmm. this is what you've got to do. It rewards people with courage, and persistence uh, that are willing to actually, you know, put themselves on the line to get that. So that was the first full set snapshot um, to get C two. Now there's actually another snapshot that's happening imminently. It's we've given out three warnings. We always give out three warnings. Okay, um, and it's a snapshot for what's called PAPP. And there was a tweet that was posted of a small little animation. The other day, which people are tearing to pieces trying to understand what exactly it is and what exactly it means, uh, which is always lovely to see, right? Um, and that'll be the next snapshot which we'll take. Uh, but at the same time, there's already been, I think, 10 stealth snapshots, which are for something else. Uh, again, just monitoring who has what in what wallet and how many of this and that, uh, which is all part of
2: the experience. Wow. I like it. <laughs> yeah Michael's like, hmm, maybe you trying to buy
1: everything right now I know I might I'm,
2: I'm considering it I'm considering it for sure The prices aren't aren't crazy right now, and if you know if things go the way, it seems like they might they could uh could be a really good value. you actually said you you put a tweet out the other day and you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but you said something like uh we're doing something as a gift for everybody that's not an nFT
3: where yes yeah, so we're doing a a little gift for everyone who holds it because there's there's obviously the game which is is for us uh, right now and has been for right now very very around having a full set and yep. that's just how the cookies crumbled for the first few sections of the game um while we build out the individual utility for each individual item um so you know the in real life events the virtual conferences and so on and so forth we thought it would just be nice to give out something to, to people who hold a Genesis NFT, just as a bit of a token of our appreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll work on that. We'll probably announce that relatively soon. Uh, just to say a bit of a thank you and just give a little bit of something back.
1: Cool. Is that an alpha leak?
3: No, nah, it's not an
2: alpha leak. Alpha <laughs> leak! No, it's
3: I'm pretty yeah. careful with what I say. It's been my job for the last six years.
2: Uh, it would be an alpha leak if he said what it was. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to ask for that.
3: Or are we? <laughs> well, if you ask for it, all you're going to get is a silent answer. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna,
2: yeah, yeah. The
1: silent treatment. Okay. Reverse psychology.
3: Exactly. Um. <laughs>
1: all right well let me this has been honestly a very fun interview like first of all uh Volterra Lewis I don't know what you prefer me to call you but um uh yeah this has been super interesting you're really good at like uh storytelling I mean uh, of, of course you probably already know that you're good at that but yeah and and I don't know. This has just been really intriguing. I've been like on the edge of my seat, like, whoa, what is he going to say next? Like, it's just <laughs> been, it's just been awesome. Um, Michael, I don't know if you have any last minute questions or anything you want to say before we wrap this up, but uh...
2: No, not so much. I mean, honestly, thank you so much for, for being here and for your candor and for going over your story. So honestly, like it was, this was really insightful. I think a lot of people will take a lot, lot out of this. Um, it's inspiring the way you built this project, honestly. And uh, I just really appreciate it, man. You're welcome. You're welcome anytime when you have stuff coming on, you know. Uh, hopefully it won't be the last time. But we, we really appreciate you taking all this time uh, to be here with us.
3: It's definitely not going to be the last time. Definitely not going to be the last time. And I appreciate that. It's, it's always good. Yeah. Like, I, I love chatting with people, especially like you guys. There's a lot of people in. In my everyday life that have absolutely no idea what i'm doing <laughs> what it is that we're doing and i'm sure it's the same for both oh yeah. So oh yeah it's always nice to sit back relax and just have a chat and i'll always sort of call things as they are um and that's something that i'll just keep doing uh, to make sure everyone's transparent and on the same page so i'm sure it's probably just the first time and i'm sure i'll be back with some maybe some new alpha leaks.
2: <laughs> wow, and let All me right. tell you, let me tell you, I'm completing my set right at the moment. I'm about to buy. Oh a too. So, uh, I'm,
3: I'm I, I, I yes,
2: yeah. nah, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm in for the ride, man. This was fun. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, and, he, and so, he,
1: his, his psychology is working on you, Michael.
2: Yeah, I know he's, he's good at he's good at that. He's good at that. So maybe it didn't uh, work on It works. Marketing, it works. Is, yeah.
3: marketing is psychology, and it'll be yeah. fun because as things start to settle down and fall into place a little bit more, we'll be able to run some small workshops. Like we really want to run some uh, some information sessions, not only from me, but from other people uh, yeah. in this space that are very knowledgeable. And I'll definitely be getting up and chatting to a lot of people in a in a workshop setting, either in real life or, or in virtual, um, to chat about marketing, how it works, and like baseline fundamentals. Because a lot of people just don't quite get it um you know the pay promotions and stuff like that's fantastic but it's not it doesn't promote longevity um and what you need is longevity uh, so if I can teach anyone that over the next you know couple of months or whatever then I'll be I'll be very happy
1: that's awesome That's huge. That. all right well thank you all so much for coming on the show and hopefully all the listeners enjoyed this episode um and we'll catch you in the next one <laughs> peace
3: <laughs> cool thanks
0: guys thank you for tuning in to the nft catcher podcast we hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about the exciting world of nfts if you enjoyed today's episode please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on apple spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast